Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to thank you for something and make you aware of something. First, thank you. Our sermon podcast had almost 15,000 listens in the last year. You listened to the sermons I preached this year from France, Spain, the Netherlands, Malaysia, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, Mongolia, Ukraine, and others. You listened from all over the United States. And if you include older sermons that have gained traction, then you listened from over 50 countries. And this is all just through the podcast. It doesn't include our website, YouTube, or live streaming, which was a big part of what we did last year. I'm amazed at how far my sermons reach, but what amazes me even more is thinking about the people that these numbers represent. I really do marvel at the idea of someone in a country, maybe with little access to biblical preaching, listening to my sermon and it being used by God to change their life. That's amazing. Here's how there can be more lives impacted this year. If you leave a rating and review on whatever podcast site you listen on. I know, I know that that just seems so simple, but it really is how podcasts determine what gets heard. One of my most listened to sermons is on in-laws. It seems that people all over the world are looking for answers on how to deal with their in-laws. And man, I really want people to find those answers through biblical preaching rather than all of the other things that might come up when they search. And so please, 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 please leave us a rating and review if you find these sermons and this podcast helpful. Okay, one more thing. You may have heard me mention this on a prior sermon, but our website recently received an update to its sermon page. We've categorized many of our sermons, and now you can just click a category and see all the series that we've done in those categories. We're going to be adding more categories in the future, but for now, if you're interested in exploring, head over to wilsonville.church slash sermons. One example is that there's a category called Jesus Sermons. If you were to click on that, you'd be taken to like 30 different sermon series on the works, words, and nature of Jesus. If you want to know Jesus better and, and learn to know Jesus better while you're driving to work, for example... I think it could be really helpful to head on to our head over to our sermons page. So to summarize, I appreciate you listening. Please leave a rating and review and check out our new sermons page. Again, thanks for taking time to listen to this sermon. And as always, I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Today, we do continue a series on the final chapter of what's the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest recorded sermon in Scripture. It runs from Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, and it's interesting when you preach, sometimes like you preach sermons that you feel like the whole world needs to hear, and I've had several of those in the, you know, as we studied through the book of Romans, where it's like, man, everybody needs to hear what God's laid on my heart today, and sometimes... There are sermons where it's like my our church, people that I pastor really need to hear this. And you you know, you couldn't care less if it went out into the world or whatever. Uh, but you you know that your congregation needs to hear it. And then there's sermons like uh, this one today where where I really think that God has put this sermon here in large part for me because I feel like I'm the one who needs to hear 
this sermon. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture on prayer. And uh, to be honest with you, this last year of my life has felt like a like an exercise in praying and having God say no. Um, that's what the last year has felt like. I mean, I've prayed for direction, and uh, somebody that's sitting here, I won't point them out, but at one point in the last year, they said, do you want God's like guidance, or do you just want him to tell you what to do? And I was like, you know what? I want God to tell me what to do. I don't need this wisdom stuff. I need like actual direction. And, and I haven't had any special or specific you know, direction from God, I don't feel like. He's led us and he's guided us, but I haven't received a yes to that that question. And I've asked for a building for our church, and uh, you know we we don't have that yet. And I've asked for ministry impact, and it's felt like I've worked harder than any other year in ministry and had less impact. And uh, there's just been a whole bunch of things this year where it's it's felt like God has just kind of ignored my my requests and my petitions. Like, hey, God, do you, do you even see me? anymore. And I think this is a this is a common feeling. We we pray something, we don't see results and then and then I think what happens and I think this is why this sermon is so important, it actually changes our view of prayer altogether. We begin to ask things like does God actually answer prayer? We ask like does it really matter if I pray because God's in control anyway and if he's up there doing whatever he wants, then then who cares if I spend time in prayer and I think that we ask, like, does God actually care about me? If God is powerful and, and he responds to prayers, then it follows that if he's not responding to my prayers, or if I can't see him responding, then, he, then maybe he doesn't care about me. And then we ask, like, am I doing something wrong? Am I not saying the magic words? Is there something in my life? Like, is there something about me that's making it so that God doesn't seem to be responding to our prayers. And what happens is these thoughts, you know this, they move you away from prayer, right? Like you don't see God saying yes to any prayer and over time you go, well, I'm, you know, you probably don't make a declaration, but somewhere deep inside you just like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore. If, if it's not, it's not going to result in anything then I'm not going to do it. And what happens also, and, and more sadly, is that over time, I think that when we don't see God working in our prayers, it can actually pull people away, not just from prayer, but away from, from God. I, I had a youth pastor once. I've mentioned him in sermons. He, he was like my hero. Uh, he was my hero. And uh, I started to do youth ministry with him. I, I served alongside of him. And I guess uh, I served uh, with him as, as my boss and leader. And, and one night a kid, maybe you've heard this story here, uh, he said, hey, does the Bible have heirs? very simple question, right? And I said no, and simultaneously this youth pastor said yes. And, and this turned into an argument that began right in front of all the kids in our youth ministry. It was a large youth ministry and, and lasted an hour after they had all left. And over time, I learned basically this, that he, his son had died a very, uh, at a very young age, baby. His son had died, and, and he, he just had looked and said, Look, the Bible says that God responds to prayers. I asked him not to let my son die, and my son died. And so therefore, the Bible cannot be trusted in the way that I thought it could be trusted before. This is, this is a feeling, whether it's a mental thing you've ever done, whether it's a spiritual thing you've ever done, walking away from God because your prayers haven't been heard. There is, there is something inside of us that can say, okay, I'm not gonna pray, or hey, God, if you're never gonna, if you're never gonna respond to my prayers, then then maybe I'm going to give up on you altogether. And today, man, 
we look at a section of the Bible that, uh, that I think is so important in, in responding to these concerns. I'll be honest, like, for me, I say this is important. For me, I haven't rejected God. I still believe the Bible to be true. But there's a part of me that's like, well, I'm just praying all these things. And like, I just, I don't feel like doing it anymore because it seems like nothing is happening. And I think that the, the problem is this. I think these, these thoughts, these ideas, these questions, this sometimes even rejection of God, it all comes from a misunderstanding of God when we approach prayer. I think that, that what we're gonna see in our passage today should change how we view God and how we view God in prayer and how God views us in prayer. And, and when that happens, I think it will change our whole paradigm. It should change our whole paradigm uh, about how God interacts with our prayers. We, we often just frankly misunderstand how God views us, and we misunderstand who God is in relationship to us, and that drives our prayers or sometimes drives our lack of prayer. And here's how Jesus begins this section in Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Now, for those of you that don't know, maybe those of you watching online, the New Testament, of which Matthew is a part, this book called Matthew, it was written in Greek. And, uh, and sometimes that's really important for understanding the passage. Often I think that pastors can go too far in you know, parsing out the Greek and turning it into a sermon when it's not really there. But there's, there's two things about these words, ask, seek, and knock, that I think are very important in Greek. And it's their form, present imperative. That's the form of the Greek words, present imperative. And, and the reason that's important is first, it demonstrates that prayer should be constant. The present tense means that it's present. It's not something we've done in the past tense. And I think as Jesus teaches us this little mini section on prayer, I think Jesus is telling us that prayer should be a present tense thing and never a past tense thing. We should never come to a place where prayer is something that we used to do and not something that we currently do. There is no room in the Christian life for prayer to be a past tense activity. It must be a present tense activity. Now, I, I know that, that all of you probably, every one of you who's a Christian that's ever prayed for something, there's probably something in your life, let me just ask, what is something in your life that you used to pray about, but that at some point you stopped praying about? Right, because we get to that point where, where we just go, I guess, I guess it's not happening for me. I wish, I wish that that would have happened. I wish God would have said yes, but we stopped. And I think as Jesus pauses in the Sermon on the Mount to teach us for the second time about prayer, it's important that we look and we say, this is a present tense activity. I should continue to pray. As it says elsewhere in the New Testament, prayer should be something that we do without ceasing. It should be consistent and constant part of our lives. And so I would ask again, is there something important that you used to pray for, but at some point you stopped? And if there is, I would say, start again. Now, the second thing is that, that Jesus uses the imperative form of these words. This means Jesus is placing an emphasis on it. It's like an exclamation point after the word. Jesus is telling us that it is imperative that we pray. It's a big deal that we pray. It is, it is important for every single Christian to be asking, seeking, and knocking. 
It isn't just like something that maybe we do if we have a little bit of time for it. It's not something that we just make a, a New Year's resolution and, and, and you know, it fades by July and, and we say, well, I should have done that more. Prayer is, is an important part of the Christian faith. It is imperative that we are people who pray. And this is seen in the imperative form of those Greek words that Jesus uses. And so prayer must not be a past tense activity, and it must be a part of your life. It is imperative that it is a part of your life. Now, with those, three, with those two things in mind, it's important, I think, to, to look at this ask, seek, and knock language and, and ask a question like, are these synonymous or is there a progression? There's a lot of scholars that think these are just synonyms, that Jesus is kind of saying the same thing three different times, maybe for some level of effect. But I, I am not one of those scholars. I actually believe that there is a progression in these words, that, they're ask, that asking, seeking, and knocking goes up in some way. And the question becomes, if Chad's right and some of the other scholars who don't see that are wrong, then what is the progression? And then there's really two options that, that people point to. And the first is a progression of action, a progression of action. This is that the, the asking and seeking and knocking are a, a progression in the actual work that we are doing as far as seeing our prayers answered goes. The, the easiest example of this, I think, is, is like anybody here that's, that's looking for a job, uh, asking would be, Praying and saying, hey, God, I'd like a job. Can you get me a job? That's asking. It's simple. It's good. It's important. It's, you know, part of our lives. But in this idea of the actions being the progressive part, the next step would be to get on Google and search for a job. Or uh, if you, you know, are living right now, you just drive anywhere in the city and look at the signs on the sides. You can go get $15 an hour at Taco Bell right now. So you would just drive around the city and be like, where is hiring, Right. So that would be the progression. I've asked God to do something, and now I am seeking a solution for the thing I have asked for. And, and the final thing would be to knock. And in the job illustration, that would be to turn in a resume or an application to go in and say, hey, I would like a job here. You see, what I think Christians oftentimes get wrong is that we ask God for things, and then we never try to look for how he might be saying yes to those prayers. It is good to say, God, please give me a job. But most often, we know this anecdotally, right? God doesn't answer that prayer while, us, while we are sitting, playing video games, watching TV. And it's not like a job just shows up on our lap. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it's not like we sit around doing nothing and all of a sudden the phone rings and, and the manager goes, hey, I'd really like to hire you. It's like, wow, God said yes to my prayers. That's not usually how it works. And so it is you know, I think it's true, whether this is Jesus' point or not, that there must be in our prayers a progression of action. We should ask God, but then we should look for the answer. And when we see what might possibly be an answer, we should knock on that door. We should walk through that door. We should make an effort to, to see God say yes to our prayers through our own efforts. Now, now the, other, the other idea would be that, that this is a, a progression of intensity, 
a progression of intensity. It's not to say necessarily that it's actions that we're taking, but that in our prayers, we are progressively becoming more passionate and more intense in our seeking of a movement of God in whatever area of life, you know, we are seeking in a movement of God in. I think of a, of a parent losing their child in a grocery store. In fact, uh, I think of more specifically me losing my nephew, who's not here today because he's sick, my nephew at the park. Uh, Rogan, some of you know him. He, he gets mad at me a lot. He might get mad at you a lot if you know Rogan. And, and one day I told him he couldn't do something at the park. I was the one watching him. And if you know Mraz Plaza's park in Wilsonville, uh, then you may know that they have this little corral where kids can ride on this horse and kids hit their faces all the time on this thing. But also, they have a bar leading into this thing that's about five foot eight, just right about here. And so Rogan was mad at me. He went and sat across the park. And I turned and I walked out of the corral and wham, this thing just smacked me in the head. And I went, oh, it's probably already mad at Rogan. And I was like, oh, that long, I'm telling you. And I look up and Rogan is absolutely gone. And I think that if I could illustrate this intensity progression, it would be like exactly what I did. I'm like, Rogan, you know, like, Rogan, where are you? Nothing. And then it's like, Rogan, where are you? Right? And then it's like frantically walking around like, have you seen a kid, you know? And, and by the way, he had just moved over a hill and he was sitting by a tree pouting. And Rogan knows that I, I chewed him out more than maybe an uncle should ever chew out anybody. But he will never run away from me again, I don't think. But this is the progression of intensity. And I think, and I don't know how this all works, um, maybe God will tell me this someday in eternity. Maybe there's scholars out there that could tell you how it works. But I don't know why a, a growing level of intensity in our prayers seemed to move God's hand, but, but it does. Like, you know intuitively, right, that, that your prayer of like, hey, God, can you help me? is not the same and usually is not responded to the same as the person who spent four hours crying on their knees or on their face begging God to do something for them. God responds differently as our prayers become more intense. The Bible even calls for this in some ways. We see it demonstrated by people in the Bible, but, but the Bible calls us to fervent Prayer, this Greek word for fervent is of a horse hitting its stride, like running full out, easy illustration currently going on, the Olympics, right? Like we know that when people run the 800, for example, they're going around the track and they're not going as fast as they can because at some point they would just, you know, not be able to keep going. But they, they pace themselves and then when they hit the final stretch, everybody starts that sprint. And sometimes you see the guy, there's this great video from like the 1988 Olympics. He's like 100 miles back in an 800 meter race and he just zoom into the front. And that's the word for fervency in the Bible. And we're called to serve fervently and we're called to pray fervently. We, we need to pray sometimes as though we're on the final stretch and there's no other hope. We are desperate to have God move. I, I know this story I've probably told you before, but a mentor of mine, he wanted God to, to tell him what to write his dissertation on for his PhD. And so he, one night, he didn't know, he's just trying to figure it out, nothing's coming to him, nothing's coming to him. He said, God, I'm not going to sleep until you tell me what to write my dissertation on. And he spent the whole night praying, and at the end of the night, 
God told them what to write his dissertation on. Now, I think, I just see this around me, that God responds to our increasing intensity sometimes in prayer. Like me going, hey, God, give me a dissertation idea, usually doesn't see the same result as me begging God on my knees for hours or whatever it might be to do a work in my life. And so either way, I think both of those things are important. I think we must both both progress in our actions as we seek a movement of God, but we must also progress in our intensity. When, when you first ask and you, you don't see a result, then, then keep asking. And, and I think it's one of the things that, that makes fasting an important part of prayer. Fasting and prayer, if you don't know, if you've never been to our, our Ash Wednesday service, they go together in scripture almost always. And fasting really is just a removal of food in order to, to remind ourselves that we are more desperate for God than we even are for the physical sustenance that keeps us alive. There's desperation in fasting. And you see that the people of God, often in the Bible, they pray, they pray, they pray, and then they become desperate. Oh, those guys are about to kill us and they're gonna destroy us all. We better fast. We better really seek God now. We need to be people who are progressing in both our actions and our intensity in prayer. Now, this comes with a promise or a proverb, and here's what Jesus says. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I think this is the part that I, I needed to be reminded of as I studied for this sermon because, because it's so easy when things are not going well to just feel like God doesn't care about saying yes to our prayers. But this passage suggests, and we'll hit more fully on this in a minute, but it suggests that God wants to say yes to our prayers. He desires to say yes to the prayers that we pray. Now, as I say that, I mean, one of the things that I hope would be obvious to you philosophically, theologically, um, experientially even, is that this does not mean that whatever we ask for in prayer, we get. God is not like some magic genie and we just you know, get three wishes and exactly what we say is exactly what happens or anything like that. We all know, right, or we should know that just because we ask for something, it does not mean that we will get something. That's not what this verse means. It cannot mean that because that would make us God. I think the, the most clear reason why this is an important truth is, is seen in the movie Evan Almighty. Um, do you remember that movie, Evan Almighty? Uh, and I think it's the, the, Evan's the first one, right? Is that right? Not Evan Almighty. Bruce Almighty, sorry, Bruce Almighty, the first one. And there's this, if you don't know the story, uh, it's Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey becomes God for a while. And I know that sounds blasphemous and all of those things, but I actually think the movie makes some incredible points about who God is and, and why we're not God. And, and one of those points is made in this, this, in this amazing scene where uh, Jim Carrey is getting emails for every prayer request in the world, right? And, and unlike the real God, Jim Carrey in this is finite. He's not infinite. He is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He is limited in his ability to, to know things and to respond to things. And so he's getting fed up with all these people. At first, he's responding, you know, and, he, and, and he's getting so much email, right? He just can't keep up with all the prayers that are going on in the world. And finally, he just 
mass sends out an email that says, like, yes, you can have whatever you want, whatever you ask for. And how do you think that goes in the world? I mean, it's mass chaos, right? I mean, there's fire and riot and explosions everywhere. Sounds like Oregon, you know? I mean, like bad things are happening all around uh, because he says yes to all these prayers. I just think about this, like, how bad would the climate be if every time I have asked for good weather, God said yes, because I wanted to have nice weather at a church event or whatever, right? Like we'd have more fires than we already have. I mean, I'm sure earthquakes would be happening. Some guy across the world would be hungry right now. Oh, because Chad got his yes answer so that our carnival next Saturday had good weather, right? And, and this is why it is impossible it should be impossible for us to believe even that God could say yes to every prayer we pray. We are not God. We don't know what's best for us or for the world. And God, thankfully, is in charge and he, he, he has all that under control. But at the same time, I think it is bad biblical exposition to look at this passage and just say, well, it's, this is what it doesn't mean. And we don't usually do that with the Bible, right? Like come to a passage and go, well, it can't mean that and then move on. But most of the time with passages like this, that's exactly what we do. It can't mean that God says yes to everything. So we're good. But the question is, what does it mean? I mean, Jesus is making some proverbial promise sounding statement here about those asking, receiving, and those seeking, finding, and those knocking, having the door open for them. And I think first, uh, John 6, 23 must be in mind. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. In Jesus' name means to pray things that are within the will and character and nature of who he is. And the promise in John 16, 23, I think, connects to the promise Jesus makes here. If we pray things that fall into the category of being within the will and nature of the God we serve, then we can expect an affirmative answer. We can expect God to say yes. I think it's really interesting that, that the two things that I'm not going to preach on just because of calendaring in, in this Sermon on the Mount, but the two things that surround this passage we're looking at today are really hard things. Listen to Matthew 7, 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I can't dive deeply into it, but I, I believe that this is about not sharing the gospel with those who are going to mock it and trample on it. And not that we don't share it once, but that we, that we don't continue to share the gospel with those who are going to make a mockery of it. We don't go to people and say, say like, hey, Jesus loves you. And they go, you're an idiot. Jesus is stupid. I hate Jesus. And we just keep saying it, Right. That's a hard line. Where is that line? Like, when do I cease to preach the gospel to people that are just trampling on it? I don't know what that looks like. And I think that it's important that Jesus follows this with the command to pray. What follows is Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do 
to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. There are so many times in my life when I have no idea what, what I would want somebody to do for me in a certain situation. And so I believe if we pray and say, hey God, when is it appropriate for me to cease telling a person the gospel because they're making a mockery of it? And what is it, what does it mean in this situation for me to treat a person how I would want to be treated? God will give us an answer to those prayers because it's in line with his will and his character. This is important. It means that we must pray when there's difficult tensions because God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, and we are not, and he will give us the things that we ask for when they are aligned with what he has called us to do. But listen to James 4, 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Think about that now. Think about your own prayer life. Most of the time when modern American Christians pray, it's for things that we can spend on our own pleasures. And in James 4, we see a reason that God might not say yes to our prayers because they sound like typical American modern day Christian prayers. I want a better job. I want a nicer car. I want people to like me more. I basically want God the American dream. And James is informative to us. While Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock, James says, hey, but if it's all about you, then, then God is not going to just say yes to you. It's interesting. There's other things in Scripture that hinder our prayers, unrepentant sin, lack of forgiveness towards others, being mean to your wife. There's about 10 different things like that. And, and you should say, if, if God's never saying yes to your prayers, are there things in your life that you need to look deeper into and say, God, is this what's hindering my prayers? I would say this too in Matthew 6, 5 through 14, Jesus offers us what is the Lord's prayer. He's teaching us how to pray and notice how little of it sounds like the modern American prayers. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Give us our daily bread, that sounds like us, God provide for me, but the rest of that is so much bigger than how we often sound when we pray for the things that we pray for. So, so what do we do with this, right? Like, because I can hear you and, and even me say, well, if, if it's all about praying, you know, things that are in line with the will of God, it's the will of God anyway, so does it actually matter, you know, if I pray or if I don't pray or does it matter how I approach prayer? All of these things. And here's, here's what I would say as you read this. I think that we should try to pray things that are in line with the heart of God. That's important. I don't think we try to do that enough. But I also believe we must pray with an expectation, a belief that God wants to say yes to us when he can and follow all the things I've just said. You see, in our kind of theological circles, uh, I think... We're the opposite of people that maybe you've seen preach on TV who say, God will say yes to whatever you ask for, right? And, and, and in our kind of theological circles, we're like, God's probably going to say no to everything I ask for. There's a feeling in, in kind of certain Christian circles that our prayers don't really matter at all. And that should not be the case based on what Jesus says here. In fact, Hebrews 4, 16 should be our heart and our attitude in prayer. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time 
of need. We should pray with confidence that God wants to say yes to our prayers when he can. Now, let me pause here because that will become more clear in the next part of this uh, passage. But, but, you know, I say this a lot if you've been around a long time. But one of the things that just blows me away about myself and modern day American Christian prayers is, is how little specificity there is in our prayers. Uh, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, but I don't know if we could ever tell if God said yes to our prayers most of the time or no to our prayers. We say things like, God bless them, or you know, when I was growing up, God give them traveling mercies. And, and, and the person comes back and they had four flat tires and ended up in the hospital. And, and we go, did he give them traveling mercies? I'm not sure. Or God be with them. That's so common in the modern you know, vernacular of Christians praying, like God be with them. Like, well, they're Christians. Don't we actually believe that God indwells them like he is with them? And so what are we even asking? And if God says yes, would we know? If God says no, would we know? Would we actually have a clue as to whether or not God said yes or no to our prayers? I think that we should pray with confidence that God is going to say yes when he can come back to that. But at the same time, I think it's important for us to pray in such a way that we can know whether God has said yes or no to us. I think we are so lazy in prayer. But listen, it all makes sense with this illustration that Jesus gives in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If I get out a thought before I tell you what Jesus is saying here, if I could add a thought to Jesus' words here, which is not usually a good idea, but I think it's implied here, uh, here would be my thought. Which of you, if your son asked for an alligator, would give him an alligator? I think that the addition is that also God is not going to give us the, the bad things that we ask for. Uh, I think this goes back to my previous point about, about God not saying yes to all of our prayers. I mean, just the other day, my son, he's four years old. He, uh, all we do is fight now. And I know that sounds terrible, but we both love it. I come into a room, he's laser beaming me. Uh, he's kicking me. He's punching me. We're wrestling. Uh, we're superheroes. He's a cheetah. He's a dinosaur. You know, I don't know. I'm just the bad guy. He's a, you know, that's how, that's our relationship at this point. So the other day, He's just sitting there. We're not playing. We're not doing anything. He holds his arm and he goes, hit me as hard as you can. (laughs) Am I going to get child protective services called? Like, like this doesn't seem, like, is this a trick question here, Hudson? Do you think I hit him as hard as I could? No, I did not hit him as hard as I could because he was just looking at me. He's like, I'm a superhero, so it's not going to hurt anyway, you know? And, And no, I didn't hit him as hard as I could. There was no way I could say yes to that request because to say yes to all of my children's requests would be, would be bad. In fact, I'm a worse parent than my wife often because when my kids want certain foods, I just, yeah, it sounds good. Like Nutella for breakfast. That's a current argument right now. We have Nutella in our house. We never have Nutella. Nutella is basically like a chocolate bar that's been melted into creamy goodness. And they ask and I say yes. And my wife says no. Who's the good parent? The parent that said yes or the parent that said no. And I would argue in that situation, it's definitely the parent who said no, right? Because it's out of love and for health and all of those things. And so, so Jesus gives this illustration, and my addition is just that God's not going to give us the bad things we ask for. For those of you who've been around, we just preached, I just preached through the book of Romans. 
Romans 8, 28, you might know this, whether you're with us or not. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's a very famous verse. People say it in the midst of their, their darkest days. But what you may not know, what you may not even remember, even though I just preached on it, is that this follows a section about prayer. And Paul wrote for us by the power of the Holy Spirit that, that when we pray, we don't know how we should pray. We, we sometimes pray the wrong things. We, we pray things that will be bad for us. We ask for alligators. We ask for God to hit us as hard as we can when we actually can't handle it. And the Holy Spirit takes our prayers to heaven and by grace and mercy and love, he presents them to God in such a way that, 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 it, that it turns out good for us. And, and just following that is, is this, God works all things for the good of those who love him. This isn't out of you know, thin air that that verse comes. It's, it's as if God's saying, no matter how I respond to your prayers, you can know it's for your good. But more to Jesus' actual point here. Listen to this, this is so key. God wants to give you the good things that you ask for. He wants to give you the good things that you ask for. I preached on this passage many years ago and uh, actually had my dad who's over here come up on stage. Some of you may remember this. Most of you weren't around, but I did this interview with my dad and it's probably the most emotional thing that we've ever done as a church. It was very emotional, a little heavy. Um, it wouldn't have worked at 4 p.m. maybe, but we could do it at 10 a.m. And, uh, and, and we, we just had this conversation. You can listen to it. The sermon series is called Receive. Uh, and, and I asked my dad this series of questions and the first question was like, tell me about you know, what you remember from when I was born. And he talked about being so scared and then he says this beautiful thing he'd written it ahead of time he said and then they placed you in my arms and all of a sudden you had my entire heart and then I asked this question about golfing together um, which seems pointless but I'll tell you the story so I said hey tell me tell us about the time that, that we were playing golf and the golf cart almost flipped and and uh my dad and I were golfing in a monsoon one. So was my uncle right here. We were all out in a monsoon in Lincoln City. Imagine the worst weather you've ever been in and then just go ride around in a golf cart without doors and play golf. It was horrible. And, and we're coming down this hill and, and the golf cart starts to flip and my dad sticks his leg out and just plants and he tore his ACL, but he kept the golf cart up. And in that sermon I preached many years ago, he said, he said you know, in that moment, it was like I remembered that you had my heart and there was no way that I was gonna let the golf cart flip on my heart. And, and I did that, we did that to illustrate the type, I mean, when God says he's our father and he wants us to give us good gifts, it's so apparent when you have a good dad in your life. And, and when I did that sermon, I had no kids and now I can tell you that I would, I mean, without hesitation, I would, I would do anything for the good of my children. I, I mean, it's, it's just changed me in the last six, almost six years. Like this one time something was falling and, I, and you know, you always say you take a bullet for somebody you love, but something was falling. I don't remember where or why or how. And literally I just threw my body over my son or my daughter. With that, like there was no thought, I just threw my body over them because it didn't matter if I got hurt. When you see your kids in pain, you think, well, I wish that was... Me, I mean, I would, I frankly at this point live for the glory of God and for the good, the good of my children. That's, that's why I 
exist. And so I come to this passage, and, and um, the fact that God, Jesus, is like, hey, if your son asks for a fish, you're not giving him a snake, right? And I know that. Like, if my son asked me for anything good and important in this life, I would do whatever it took to give it to him if it was in my capability to do so. And the reality is, I, I mean, me, my dad, his dad, his dad's dad, you go down the line, we're all just sinners without the real ability to do anything good apart from God. And so if God, if God is using this illustration for himself, Jesus' point is how much more is our heavenly perfect father wanting to give you the good things in your life that you need? I mean, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I said at the beginning that often, that often we can fall away from prayer, we can be frustrated in prayer because we don't view God correctly. And the correct way to view God as we approach prayer is as a perfect heavenly Father who wants to give you every single good gift. If God doesn't give it to you, it means it's not for your good, period. How do we know that this God is good? I know not everybody has a good dad. I know that some of you have had absentee fathers. I know that some of you have had uh, abusive fathers. I know that some have had just fathers that were kind of jerks. And, and, and here's, this is why we know, because of this thing called the gospel, the thing that we really celebrate every single week here. We know that God is good because we know, this is what the story of Christianity is, that each and every one of us have rejected God. Like we, re, we chose to reject him. And so God, out of that, you know what he could have done? He could have just condemned us to hell. He said, you're damned for eternity. That was within his prerogative. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. Instead, he came in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life, and at the end of that perfect life, he died on a cross for us, and he hung on that cross, and if you've been around, you know I say this almost every week. It was not the worst death the world has ever known because he was crucified. Lots of people were crucified, and it wasn't the worst death the world had ever known because he was He was tortured before that crucifixion. It was the worst death the world has ever known because when he was hung on the cross, all of our sins were hung on him. He literally paid the price of hell for us. A few days later, he rose from the grave, thus conquering sin and death for all who would place their faith in him. And so if you believe that story to be true, then there is no doubt that he is a good and perfect father that wants to give you every good gift that he can give you. He wants to say yes to your prayers and he will say yes to your prayers if the yes answer is what is best for you. We get frustrated when God says no because I think somewhere deep inside of us, we question who he is. Is he just this distant being? Is he, is he just my creator? Does he actually care? But I don't think we can ever be frustrated in our prayers when we come to prayer with the gospel in mind, and we allowed the gospel story to form how we view the God that we are talking to when we bow our heads and close our eyes and offer up our prayers. 
I think we fade from prayer and some people fade from God because they forget to realize that God is the perfect heavenly Father. And, and, and if that's true, we must approach prayer believing that God can do what we ask. We must believe that God wants to say yes to his children in prayer. And we must know that if he says yes, which he wants to do, or if he says no, it is because he sees that it is in our best interest. The gospel story and what it teaches us about God must define our attitude, our belief, our view of God in prayer. And when it does, we'll never, we'll never get frustrated in prayer because we'll trust that our God is doing the very best thing for us, no matter whether, whether he responds with a yes or with a no.